0: Christian, I've heard many other preachers preach on the tabernacle, and it's always fed my soul. Any kind of teaching on the tabernacle has uh, has really been a help and a blessing to me. And so, I want to share that with y'all over the next several weeks. And like I said this morning, we may take this tabernacle series and extend it into the feasts. We, I've, I've never studied the feasts in themselves. We may look at some of the feasts, and and then also into the priesthood. So. We'll get a good, uh, a good several months in uh, in this time, but kind kind of a topical subject. Uh, but we'll be looking at different passages of Scripture. But if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter number twenty-five, and let's start reading in verse number one. Let's all stand at our honor and respect and our reverence of God's Word. Exodus twenty-five. Look at verse number one. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, "Speak unto the children of Israel." That they bring, to bring, an, uh, bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly. With his heart Ye he shall take my offering. And that's a good verse about there shouldn't be any arm twisting to get people to give. I believe it. Listen, I, if, if, you, if you're that greedy and stingy with your money, you can keep it. Bill, Bill just shuddered when I said that over there. <laughs> but anyway, verse number three. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them. "...gold, and silver, and brass, and blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine linen, and goat's hair, and ram's skins dyed red, and badger skins, and shittim wood, all for the light, uh, spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod, in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary." <laughs> And that, it, that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof even so shall ye make it. I'm going to get me some water here. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and I want to take you on an aerial view of an unusual building. An aerial view of an unusual building. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your blessed word. Father, every time it is read, it nourishes and feeds our heart. Father, I pray as we take the first steps into this journey that you would guide our minds by the Spirit of God. God, I, I'm not the one that can make and drive home application to the heart. I can speak it, I can say it, but only the Spirit of God can drive it home into the heart. And God, I pray that as we look at the shadows and the types and the pictures of our Savior and of the saint and of salvation, Father, I pray that it would strike a chord in our heart. God, I pray that it would help us fall more deeply in love to a great designer that god is father i pray that you would use these words and these shadows and types to pierce our heart to show you who you show us who you are who you are as holy who you are as glorious who you are as perfect father god i pray you would use it to show us what you have done for sinful man that that tried covering his sin with fig leaves. Father, you made a way of salvation where we can come and have fellowship with you. Oh, Father, bless us with these truths tonight. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. An aerial view of an unusual building. We're going on an imaginary journey tonight. And we have a special airplane that has been set aside just for this journey. Now, this airplane is like no other. Not only can it traverse the great expanse of distance between here and, and the area of the Sinai Peninsula, but also it can travel the expanse of time. Not only are we going to be on this imaginary journey taking a plane ride from here all the way to Saudi Arabia and that Mount Sinai Peninsula there, but we'll also take a journey back some 3,500 years. And so let's all step onto the plane. Imagine uh, you've been seated in your seat, buckled in. Your tray tables are in an upright position. You feel the thrust of the plane as it takes off into the air. You feel your separation from the ground. And then several hours later, we find ourselves flying over this this desert of the uh, the Sinai Peninsula. And as we come across the Mount Sinai, we see an unusual sight. From the air, we can see thousands and thousands of tents, orderly tents, fashioned in lines, in an orderly procession or position in the middle of a desert. Uh, 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 And all of these tents are aligned in array about this one particular structure. This one structure seems to be the focal point. It seems to be at the place to which all the other individual tents point to. This building is right in the center as we cast our eyes and as we fly by over that building, we look down upon it and we see a strange sight. We see an outer fence made of linen cloth that goes around this central building. We see a fire, smoke coming up from some sort of fire, an altar. We see a large basin of water. And then we see a drab, gray, building. The building is approximately uh, 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, 15 feet high. And as we fly by this unusual sight, I want you to take note of that uh, and this building is not extravagant at all. It's not all that extravagant. You can't see all of the all of the beauty that's inside the building. No, from the outside, it doesn't look like a whole whole lot. From the back portion of that tabernacle, that, that uh, 45 by 15 foot structure, there is a pillar of smoke emanating from the back portion of that, rising up from, from inside the tent, stretching all the way into the heavens. And from there, and from that point, it mushrooms out to cover the entire array of tents in a comfortable, cool shadow. You see, the centerpiece of this nomadic desert city that we've flown over is nothing more it is it is itself the tabernacle. Not only is it significant to these people, do do you know the role that the tabernacle plays is significant in the Scriptures? I mean, all these tents lined up around it. There's something special about this building. But do you realize that if you'll fly through God's Word, you'll find that the tabernacle itself has a preeminent and a prominent uh, portion of the Scriptures. Matter of fact, in Exodus... The tabernacle is the subject of 14 chapters. In Leviticus, the tabernacle is the subject of 18. In Numbers, it is the subject of 13 chapters. In Deuteronomy, the subject of 2. And in Hebrews, it's the subject of 4 chapters, making a total of 51 chapters in that Bible have to do with the tabernacle that we're flying over in our imaginary trip. Fifty-one chapters. Listen, there's more said about the tabernacle than Jesus Christ. There's more said about the tabernacle than the death of Jesus Christ, than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's more said about the tabernacle than the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, if there's that much about it in the Bible, shouldn't it be a prominent position in our study? If God had so much to say about it, then evidently He has so much to say to us about it. I like one of my friends, anytime that Bible's open, God is speaking to you. And so if God wrote 51 chapters to us about the tabernacle, then it's got something important that God wants us to see. So, therefore, it will do us well to study and understand why God placed such an importance on the tabernacle. Every one of us can discern great spiritual truth in the summary of the three basic truths concerning the tabernacle. Now, this is just a flyby. I mean, we're just kind of humming over tonight, taking a gander at it, and moving on. We're going to get down off the plane, and we're going to walk through the thing. And we're going to look at each individual piece and all of the accoutrements of it and all... You didn't know I knew like a word like accoutrements, did you? All the pieces and, and individual uh, parcels that made up this tabernacle. But tonight's just a fly by. And I want you to see three important truths about this tabernacle. The first one is this. It is the tabernacle. It shows the significant... Uh, I, want to, I want you to see the signification of the tabernacle. This tabernacle signifies a few things. Throughout the scripture the tabernacle has many names. In Exodus 25.9 it is called the tabernacle. That's what we just read a little while ago. And in verse number 9 it's called the tabernacle. That word tabernacle simply means a dwelling place. A place of living. A place of abiding in exodus 25 8 which will be turning to uh, sh- uh no exodus 25 8 which we read here he calls it a sanctuary the word sanctuary indicates a holy place a place set apart for a particular purpose in numbers 9 15 it's called the test of the tent of testimony so evidently that this, uh, the contents uh, of the Ark, and uh, we find that the Ark of the Covenant, which is the Ark of Testimony. This is the tabernacle that contains the Ark of Testimony. The testimony is, the, we find in the Ark of the Covenant, the broken law, Aaron's budding rod, and a pot of manna. It's a testimony of God's power. And then in Numbers 17, 7, we find that it is a tabernacle of witness. God is witnessing by this tabernacle that He is with His people. It says something to the world around them about God. It is the tabernacle of testimony. Now all these spoke of what it is, but what did it signify? What did this tabernacle say? What did it mean to these children of Israel, well, I want you to see. First of all, it signified a relationship. A relationship. Uh, look at uh, look at. Turn over to chapter number twenty nine in Exodus. Twenty nine, and look at verse number forty two. Twenty nine, and verse number forty two. Exodus twenty nine, and verse number forty two. Notice in verse number 42. It says, This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. Listen to this. Where I will meet you to speak there unto thee. And there I will meet with the children of Israel. And the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. You see, God says, I'm going to meet with you at this tabernacle. You're going to meet with me. I'm going to speak to you. You're going to speak to me. God gave the commandments... a a representation of who he was you remember Exodus 20 God gave the commandments God gave the commandments to say you shouldn't lie you shouldn't steal you shouldn't commit adultery you shouldn't blaspheme you shouldn't have idols before God you should always sanctify a day of worship and on and on and on the commandments go but man cannot keep those commandments the moment they came down from the mount they were broken shattered by God's people and, or uh, by the people there, in the, uh, uh, by, by God's people. And so the expectations could not be met. So right on the heels of the giving of the law, God made a way in which He can fellowship with His people. Because God can't fellowship with a sinful people. Something has to be done with the sin. And so therefore God set up the tabernacle as a place where He might meet and fellowship with His people. But the but the tabernacle was basically a bridge of relating to God. It was a bridge from sinful man to a holy God. Notice in verse number forty two. Before God says he'll meet with them, what does he reference? Look at what he said. This shall be a continual, continual day in, day out, night after night, a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of. Of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. That, that burnt offering, we're going to jump ahead a little bit and just dabble in the brazen altar. That's what that is, the brazen altar. And it is a picture of Calvary. It is a picture of the cross of Calvary. Man comes in, he's sinful. He wants to fellowship with God. He wants to be made right with God. He can't come any further until he meets God at that altar. Until he meets God at that place of sacrifice. Man cannot go any farther in relationship to God until they come to the cross. Until they come to the place where Jesus bled and died and suffered for sin. And so this marks a way we can have a relationship with God. Only on the basis uh, of the cross uh, can we have a relationship with God only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Man isn't invited until he comes by the way of the cross. (laughs) The way of the cross leads home to God. We've got to come to the cross before we can go any further with God. It signified a relationship with sinful man. Ever since God walked in the cool of the day with Adam, God's wanted to have relationship with His creation. And when that relationship was broken by sin, God took their fig leaves away and gave them a way in which they can have fellowship with God. Here in the tabernacle, God sent even a more 2020 uh, technicolor picture of salvation. Notice, not only did it signify a relationship, It signified a residence. Notice verse 45 in chapter 29. Look at 45. And I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will be their God. Now, was He their God back in Egypt's land when He didn't have a tabernacle? Was He the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Was He the God of Adam and Noah He's always been that God of His people. But God by the tabernacle has made a place in which He can dwell with His people. The very Shekinah glory, the very presence of God resided in that tabernacle. He took up residence among them. You know there are only three places in the Bible that are referred to as the dwelling place of God. The first one is here in the tabernacle. God said, I will tabernacle among the people. I'll, I'm going to dwell in that tabernacle and live among my people. The second one is in the Lord Jesus. In John one one. in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word was God. Jesus was God. In John 1.14, it goes on to say, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You know that one time on this fir- earth, on this, uh, this terra that we live on, the Son of God, the very indwelt presence of God, dwelt among His people. He laid down on a pallet at night and rested His head on, this, uh, on the dusty ground of the earth. He dwelt among His people. And not only do we see God dwelling in the tabernacle, and we see God dwelling in Jesus Christ, but we also read of where God dwells among His people today. And it is in the people of God, in the person, in the individual believer. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Paul reminds them, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. <laughs> you realize... That the indwelling presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God that dwelt in that tabernacle. The presence, the fleshly incarnate presence of God that indwelt this earth. The spiritual presence of the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us dwells inside of us every day when you wake up the spirit of god dwells in us he never leaves us he dwells with his people god has come to reside in us that are saved by the grace of god you see this tabernacle it signifies a relationship it signifies a residence also it signifies a reality This tabernacle signified the reality of who God is to His people. Every feature of this tabernacle tells us about who God is. Look at verse number... Go back to chapter 25. 25, and look at verse number 8. And let them make me a sanctuary... That I may dwell among them. A sanctuary. A place set apart. A place distinct from any other. The reality of His holiness is seen here. The reality of how holy God is. How pure and untainted by sin He is. You think of all of the... Have you ever read the book of Leviticus? And all of the minute... Detail of what to do, what to say, how to act, what to give, when to leave, when to come in. All of the detail talking about the holiness of God. The holiness. Time and time again you will find the word holy attached to the tabernacle. They'll talk about the holy sacrifices. They'll talk about the holy instruments, the holy furniture. Everything about the place was holy. But it also signifies not only as holiness but also the glory. Look at 29. Flip back to 29. 29 and verse number 43. And there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. The word glory there simply means splendor, majesty. Brilliance, the splendor of God. He is a God that is to be worshiped. He is a God that is to be reverenced. God is signifying the reality of His person in the tabernacle. Oh, listen, it's good to get a glimpse of how perfect He is, it's good to get a glimpse of how glorious He is, it's good to get a glimpse of how beautiful He is. That's what it signifies to us. You know, he's just not the big daddy in the sky, and he's just not the man upstairs. And we live in a world today that degrades and and has an irreverence towards the things of God and the and the and the ideas and the truths of God, an irreverence for it. Or oh, if we know anything about this tabernacle. If we'll if we'll by the end of this uh, by the end of this series be able to picture ourselves as priests unto God Hebrews tells us we're priests unto God to offer sacrifice and if we'll if we'll follow the path of these priests as they go into the tabernacle and how what reverence and purity and holiness and particularity they have about how they present themselves to a holy God. Oh, would to God that get a hold of our lives that we serve a holy and righteous and glorious God and He is deserving of our worship. He's deserving of our praise and thanksgiving. It signifies something. The tabernacle signifies some things. Not only do we see the signification of the tabernacle, but I want you to see the structure of the tabernacle. Now, turn back in your Bibles to Chapter 25, and I want you to look at verses 8 and 9. Chapter 25 and verse 8 and 9. I know we've been flipping back and forth a little bit, but this is more of a topical study. But uh, Exodus 25 and verse 8 and 9. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern... Of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. You see, not only did God give ten commandments to Moses on the mount, he gave him a pattern to build the tabernacle. Boy, ain't ain't that like God? He's going to give you this law that you cannot uphold, but He's going to give you a way in which you can be made right. You know, that's what every missionary and every child of God and every witness is to be. I'm to offer up what you can't meet, but I'm I'm to offer up how you can meet it. Amen. I, I may charge you with the law just like Peter did this morning. He may charge them with their guiltiness, but at the same time shows them how they can be made right. Oh, listen, He brought down a pattern. Hey, you you might want to call them blueprints. Moses brought down blueprints of what God wanted him to build in uh, in the tabernacle. Now if there's any one thing that we can see from our aerial view is that the tabernacle was a structured facility. It was a divinely ordained, a divine structure, a pattern. He talks about in verse nine a pattern, a blueprint of a structured uh, of a structured building. Now, the first thing I want you to see about the structure of the tabernacle is the instruction of the structure. Now, there are three. Now, I'm just going to go. There's a lot of scripture references here, and I'm just going to we're going to fly by this tonight, and we'll pick it up one by one later on as we go and look at each individual thing. But I want you to see first of all. That the tabernacle itself, matter of fact, Carrie, will you, Evan, will you help us? I printed these out and I was supposed to hand them out before. And so what I want you to do, Tony, will you hand out a few? And Greg, will you help me as well? Hand out a few of these. There you go. Get a few around here. I'm sorry, I meant to hand these out before. But uh, what I'm fixing to allude to go right ahead. What I'm fixing to allude to... There's some back here, Greg, that don't have one. Thank you all. I hope we have enough. But uh, what some of the things that we'll allude to are visually seen on this diagram. Did everybody get one that wants one that can see? Maybe you can share with somebody if we're a little short. But if you're looking in that aerial view of the tabernacle, you'll see basically three structures. Now, I know it looks like two. There's that outer, that outer area. Then there's the actual tent, the tabernacle proper you might call it. But inside the tabernacle proper, that building, that, that tent, there are two compartments. So there's basically three structures in this divine blueprint. Now first of all, there was a fence. If you'll notice on the outside, all along the perimeter there, there is a fence. That is a linen white fence. And that fence, fence was 150 feet long on one side, 75 feet wide on the other, and seven and a half feet tall. It had one opening to permit people to come in and out. There was only one way in. This was what was called, all that area on the inside of that fence was called the outer court. And and, uh, the entrance to that outer court was on the east side. So if you see that gate opening right there, that'll be pointed to the east. Now, uh, not only do we see that, the tabernacle itself. Now we'll go to the tabernacle proper, that tent inside the outer court. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about? The the tent itself. It it has... Two compartments. Now, the tabernacle itself had two separate rooms partitioned by a single veil. The whole tent, that whole tent there, was 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, and 15 feet tall. Now, the first room that you came into was called the holy place. What was that outer portion called? Does anybody remember? The outer court. And then when you go into that first room in the tabernacle, tent proper... That's called the Holy place. Now if you go past that room, which was 40, which was 30 by 15 feet, if you go past that and beyond the veil, then you'll go into what's called the most holy place. That was a perfect cube. It was supposed to be 15 uh, feet wide, 15 feet long, 15 feet high. Time and time again, in the book of Exodus, during the construction of the tabernacle, it says Moses did as the Lord commanded. Now listen, I've designed a lot of things in my, in my past. This one's got it stamped by God on it. God designed completely, head to toe, top to bottom, this whole tabernacle. And so that was the instructions that God gave him. An outer perimeter, outer court, and a tabernacle proper with two chambers, one of them is the most, uh, one of them is the holy place, one of them is the most holy place. Now I want you to see not only that, I want you to see the ingredients of the structure. Now, if you remember verse 25, when God took up this offering from his people? What did he tell them to bring? Look at some of the things that were to be brought. Uh, verse number 3 an offering which you'll take from them shall uh, uh, them gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins, dried, uh, dyed red, and badger skins and shittim wood, all uh, for the light and all on and on and on. All these were the individual elements that were used to build the tabernacle. Now, now, now the tabernacle was constructed by very specific materials. We have them listed here. Gold, silver, brass, linen, goat skin, badger skin, cinnamon wood. Each of these materials speak to the aspects of God's work. Now I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag, okay? So you're just going to have to understand that each one of these items speaks to the characteristics of God and of Jesus Christ. So those are the ingredients and the instructions. Now also I want you to see the instruments of the structure. Now, if you'll look at your little diagram there, you might be able to make out two very distinct pieces of furniture or instruments in the outer court, right there by the door. If you'll look, you'll find what should be a smoke rising from, looks like a square box, maybe with horns on it. That is the brazen altar that we find right there, where sacrifices were offered. Every person... Of those millions of Jews, when they brought a sacrifice, it was burned right there on that altar. Now if you go past it, you may be able to make out a brazen labor. Looks like a big bowl right there before you go into the t- the tabernacle proper. That was a basin that was used for washing. When we get into the basin, we'll learn about how that the priests had a ceremonial cleansing. They would cleanse their hands. They would cleanse their feet. You know, out in that Out in that outer court, there was nothing but sand on the ground. And you mix that sand with blood. And you mix that sand with soot from the fire. You can get filthy. But before they went in... (laughs) Amen. Before they went into that most holy place... There was some cleansing that needed to go on. Hey listen, we walk around this world and you know like Peter said, Oh Lord, if if you're going to wash people's feet, just wash me whole. And Lord said, No, you just need your feet clean. You just need to be cleansed up. Listen, that's what we need. As priests unto God, when we come to Him, we can come. I'm letting the cat out of the bag. I know what happens sooner or later. When we come to God, we can find cleansing in the mirror of God's Word, in the water of God's Word. We can cleanse from the filthiness of this world when we go past that and we go inside the tabernacle proper there are three instruments in this first room called the holy place first of all uh we see on the left as we go in we'll see the golden candlestick there must be a, a golden candlestick yeah i don't have a picture on that i'll print I'll you out one later as we go golden candlestick and it represents light in the presence. It always had to be burned. It always had to be lit. We go from there on the right, left. To the right. And we'll find the table of showbread. You Remember. Maybe we talked about the showbread a little bit. How that, that showbread was baked uh, uh, all the time. And they were placed on that altar. Uh, twelve loaves of bread. Representing the twelve tribes of Israel. Now right in the center. Uh, before you enter into the veil. Was the altar of incense. And they would take pungent uh, smelling uh, resins and incense and they would burn it right there and the smell of that would waft its way over the veil and under the veil into the most holy place. Beyond that we go into the most holy place and there, there is what looks to be one piece of furniture but actually it's two. There is the Ark of the Covenant. You remember the Ark of the Covenant? I preached a particular message on that. How that it has the broken law inside of it. How that it has the budding rod of Aaron and the bowl of manna. And then on top of that would be considered a separate piece called the mercy seat. A huge slab of gold that sat on the top with these ornate cherubims carved into that that, uh, uh, mercy seat. And so that gives you the structure. Again, we're just zooming in and zooming out. I just want to show you what's in there and we'll talk about it later. We're just doing a quick tour of that. But that shows you the structure of the tabernacle. Notice last of all, not only the signification of the tabernacle, what it stood for, not only the structure of how it was set up, how God intended it to be, but I want you to see the symbols of the tabernacle. You see, that's what we're really after, isn't it? That's what we really want to see is the symbols of the tabernacle. We want to know what these mean. What do those candlesticks mean? What is that that uh, bra- brazen laver and that linen uh, linen fence, what does it all represent? What do those curtains represent? What does that door represent? We want to see the symbols. The symbols in every aspect of the tabernacle portray a symbol. Give a portrait, an illustration. The tabernacle, is a traveling art gallery of God's redemption. That's my first quotable quote in quite some time. It is a (laughs) trap. Everything else you hear might have got it from somewhere else, but that was an original. The tabernacle itself is a moving art gallery of God's redemption. Now I want you to see three basic symbols of the tabernacle as a whole. Looking at it as a bird's eye view. I want you to see, first of all, that the tabernacle symbolized the Savior. The tabernacle symbolized the Savior. You see, the tabernacle was an earthly picture of a heavenly son. Notice that there is a door. There's one door. If you look on front there, you'll find just one entryway. One way in to that tabernacle. Oh, that sounds vaguely familiar. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said, I am the door. If any man comes in another way, he is a a thief and a robber. He hasn't come in the right way. He is the one way to heaven. There are not many ways to heaven. We're not all holding hands ecumenically, finding our way through a forest of idolatrous guards to one day find nirvana somewhere down the road. No, there is only one way to heaven. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to have sins forgiven. And it is by Jesus Christ. The brazen altar, as I've alluded to earlier, is the cross of Calvary. It's the only way we can have access. We can't go any further until we come by the way of the cross. The labor is a picture of God's Word. Anytime you find water in the Bible that is still, still waters often is a type of the Word of God, of the very Word of God. And who was the Word of God made flesh? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was the Word manifest in the flesh, and so uh, uh, well, Jesus Christ is the Word. Then we go into the into the uh, holy place, and we find we find the uh, the the the, the, uh, the golden candlestick. And what is that a picture of? That is a picture of Jesus. As what the light of the world. Jesus said, "I am the light of the world. You don't have to remain in darkness. You can come." Into the life. We go to the table of showbread. And what did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. (laughs) If any man hungers, let him come to me. And we go on to the the, the table of incense. And we find there that Jesus is our great high priest. And he is interceding to God on our behalf. We go past that altar of incense. And we find we find the Ark of the Covenant, which is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Redemption paid in full, atoned before the Father. Justice has been served. Even the elements, the individual elements that we talked about, they speak of Jesus Christ. The gold speaks of his deity. Jesus was not just merely a great teacher or a good man. He was God manifest in the flesh. The silver speaks of His redemption. The price He paid on Calvary's cross. The brass speaks of the judgment that He endured on the cross of Calvary. Blue speaks of His heavenly origin. Purple speaks of the royalty of His rightful throne. Scarlet speaks of the precious blood that He shed. The fine linen around the outer court speaks of His purity and His righteousness. The skins on the top of the building speak of His sacrifice. The shittim wood speaks of His humanity. This building is a symbol of the person of Jesus Christ. Every aspect of it. Every aspect, every nook and cranny of this tabernacle points us to the Savior. Points us to Jesus God by picture book at the tabernacle displaying his son. Not only does it symbolize the Savior, but also symbolize the saint. Our journey, the saint's journey, is to get to God, is to come into the presence and fellowship of God. When we attempt to come in through the outer uh, through the door of the outer court, we're met first with the brazen altar. Oh, listen, if anybody's going to come to God, if anybody's going to find audience with God or relationship with God, it won't come by your good works. It won't come by your good deeds or how you live your life or what you say or what you do. It'll come on the basis of Calvary's cross and whether there's ever been a time where you bowed a knee where you said, God, you're my Savior. I receive that cross as my sacrifice. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Oh, the only way a, a child, the only way a person can have fellowship with God is by the way of the cross. And then the labor. The labor speaks of our need of daily cleansing. And that's why I let the cat out of the bag. Oh, we look into the still waters of the labor and we see how dirty we are. When we look at the life and the person of Jesus, we see how we don't meet up and we take our hands and immerse them in the Word of God, immerse them in the Scriptures, immerse them in the life of Jesus and we find cleansing for our sin. Notice we see not only the laver, but we see the lampstand. The lampstand is not only a picture of Jesus, the light of the world, it is the picture of the Christian that is to be the witness of Jesus Christ. They hold up the light in this world itself. The lampstand. They were brought to the table of showbread. At the table of showbread it's where we have fellowship. Oh, Jesus said, you can't have fellowship with me unless you partake of me. Unless she eat my flesh and drink my blood. Isn't that what he said? Oh, at the table of showbread it's where we have fellowship with Jesus Christ. No, from the table of showbread, we go to the altar of incense. In the Christian's life, it refers to the essential nature of prayer in the life of a believer. Incense is often associated with prayer unto God as it rises its way unto God. So our prayers are to be we go in behind that and finally into the most holy place, the reality of the finished work of Christ. We go into that most holy place and there we're met with the presence of God. Oh, put yourself in the sandals of a priest in the days of Moses how that uh, one year on the day of atonement he went in with that basin of blood and and gone into that after he cleansed himself confessed of sin sacrificed for his own sin he walks into the very presence of God the shekinah glory of God fills the room he can't see he cannot look upon him he cannot set his eyes upon him he simply comes and flicks the blood in the direction of the mercy seat and it makes us realize that one day we'll See God and one day we'll look upon his face we'll see him as he is oh it's a picture of the believer one day seeing God face to face notice also not only is it a symbol it symbolizes the Savior and it symbolizes the saint but I want you to see finally it symbolizes salvation as a whole you know in our flyby if you looked real close it's not a very pretty scene. It's not a very pretty scene at all. It's not all that ornate like I said before. The first we must we must see that God and it, and I believe the whole picture of the tabernacle pictures for his salvation. The first thing that a person needs to realize in order to be saved is that God is holy. Oh how different this looks than everything else around it. All those other tents are lined up around it. It looks different. It's set apart. It's special. We look in there and we see the beauty or maybe the the white linen fence that separates that place from every other place. God is holy. We see the beautiful linen fence and the brass and the gold and the silver and the purple and the blue. That speaks that God is a holy and righteous and royal God. Then we must see that man is sinful. If you're flying in that plane and we were to dive down just a little bit close, you could look down and you could see what's going on in there. What's happening amongst all that gold and brass and linen and purple and blue and all that down there? Animals are dying. Their throats are being slit. You can hear the gurgle of blood through these dying animals as the blood is caught in the basin. And as the animals are burned, you see the ugly black smoke of their flesh bodies burn. On it, it's ugly. It's horrifying. It was a. Can you imagine how much blood? How much blood was everywhere over the sacrifice floor. Blood was everywhere around that brazen altar. Blood and intros and, and the, the filth of death was all around. It gives us a picture that sin is ugly. That sin is vile. That sin is wicked. It gives us a picture of the ugliness of sin. When we come to the cross, we see the ugliness of sin. Our Savior gasping for breath. The ugliness of sin can be seen in the drug addict with dope needles poked up his arms. The ugliness of sin can be found in the homeless man drunk in his own urine on the sidewalk. It can be seen in the prostitute that haunts the sidewalks of Chattanooga with a lustful look in her eye. Sin is ugly. Sin is sinful. Sin is wicked and must be dealt with. When we come to that brazen altar and we see that blood and we see that sacrifice, thank God that we can move on. We can set that aside. We can can treasure that cross. We can see it as our, our payment for sin and we can go on to know God even more. And so we go from there to the place of cleansing, that brazen labor. And then then we see, we go into the inside of the most holy place. Can you imagine? Imagine it in your mind. That blue in that place. And the scarlet and the, the gold that flickers from the candlelight. What a beautiful place it must be. What a gorgeous place. What a magnificent, glorious place to be in that holy place. Can you imagine slipping behind the veil and seeing the very presence of God, His glory, His effulgence, filling the room with His presence all hidden under a drab, gray, badger skin. From the outside it don't look like much. Oh, but on the inside. Oh, but on the inside, it's wonderful. You know, in closing this world, I, I think about them, boy, it is, Elvis mentioned, it, it's gorgeous today. I'm telling you what. It's go- it's beautiful outside. And uh, I imagine there's folks riding up and down Mission Ridge Road and, and riding outside our road here on Vandiver or Vandiver, however you pronounce it. And now, they'll see those cars in that parking lot and so, my goodness, don't that preacher ever let up? Good night. It's beautiful. Why are they all in there? What's all, what's all that about? They're all there every Wednesday night, every Sunday night, Sunday morning. There's always car. What's going on in there? They're crazy. That that building ain't all that. That that's not all what it's cracked up to be. Oh, it's just because they hadn't been on the inside. They hadn't been on the inside. They haven't been by the bloody cross where the sacrifice was given for our sin. Where we could go on with God, to know God. They've not known what it's like to come by the brakes and labor and feel the cool and refreshing cleansing from God. They don't know what it's like to walk in to the most holy place and to see the beauty of God in the Scriptures, to see the beauty of Christ in the Gospels, to know the presence of God, to be in His presence. They don't know. They don't know. Oh, what a glorious thing it is. To live under this badger skin life. Amen. To know the glory of God in our lives. Don't look like much of a place from the outside. I'll admit it. I'll admit it. Don't look like, doesn't look like much of a good life from the outside world. All you Christians worrying about sin. And whether you slip up. Or whether you mess up. And all the time feeling guilty for the things that you do. And you don't do. And. Oh, listen, that's a hard life. Oh, but they ain't been on the inside. <laughs> they haven't seen how perfect he is. They haven't seen how pure he is. They haven't seen how beautiful he is. And how wonderful he is to pay for my sin debt. Oh, they ain't been on the inside. i wonder if you've been on the inside. Some of you I'm worried I'm wondering about. I don't know if you've been on the inside. I don't, been on, I don't know if you've realized and grasped how wonderful it is to walk with God, to know God. To walk day in and day out with him. To know his presence in our life. Oh what a wonderful glorious thing it is to live under a badger skin tabernacle. Let's all stand to our feet. Elvis you come with a song of invitation. An aerial view of an unusual building. Oh it's a special place. And I know it'll be seen as a special place more and more in the Sunday nights to come. i beg you be here every night we are going to have a glory hallelujah time some of you might get a feel for what it's like on the inside by the time we get done it's going to be wonderful amen i'm looking forward to it can't wait till next week but listen i wonder have you been inside have you been by the brazen uh the brazen altar where jesus paid the penalty of your sin have you stopped by there And saw what great sacrifice that he made. You know, we as believers, we don't have to bring a lamb or a bullock or anything like that year in and year out. No, when we walk in, we walk in and we, we walk in in remembrance because the fire still burns. He paid for my sin, it is sufficient. He is interceding at the right hand of the Father. Even now, he says, It's sufficient, I paid for that. Oh, we can walk on by singing the praises of God on the way to reading the scriptures and cleansing ourselves and going in and fellowshipping with God and being the light of the world and petitioning Him in prayer and even going to the very presence of God in our kitchen, in our living room. Man, you don't, you don't have to be at church to experience the presence of God. Oh, listen, they've been one of the most glory hallelujah times in a kitchen on 180 Main Avenue that I've ever experienced. Oh, I tell you what, you can meet with God anywhere Anytime we can come into His presence by the cross of Jesus Christ. Truths that'll help you in dealing with this tabernacle. Oh, what a glorious truth it is, Elvis! What song of invitation? Three sixty-eight, nothing, nothing but the blood. Listen, this invitation. Let, let's do it like this. Hey, is there something that you need to that needs to be made right with God? Is there something that you need to come and make right? You need to revisit that cross once again and reapply and and come to that cross and ask God to forgive you and cleanse you one more time. You need to come to that labor. Have God's Word. God's Word has revealed through the reflection of His Word has revealed a problem, a sin that needs to be dealt with. You come tonight. Oh, maybe I have petitions. Maybe you have needs you need to bring to God. Oh, this will do. This will do for an an altar of incense. This will do for a place of fellowship. Maybe you need to draw closer to God in fellowship. Here's the place to do it. Why not tonight? Why not make things right with God tonight? Let's sing, brother. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we sing. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for the truths of Your Word, the pictures that You give us. Father I pray your Holy Spirit would lead us As we journey on and continue on To follow you and follow what you're doing In this scriptures Father we pray that you'd touch these folks here That have listened Drive these truths home in their heart Father God we ask you Enlighten us as we continue To study your word in this tabernacle God we ask this in Jesus Praise Amen name, amen I'm trusting to the Unseen Hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand Podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information, such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to Ronnie Brown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand Podcast. Until then, may God's Unseen Hand gently guide you on your journey home the unseen hand.